Hello and welcome to another episode of Dealer Talk. So today we have an amazing guest. Um, you know, it seems like I say that all the time, but we truly, truly have somebody that I'm very, very excited to um, share with uh, with all of you. And um, I can't wait to get going here. Let me check in with Eric really quick. Eric, how you doing, man? Brother, I'm fired up and ready for all the information to come my way. If you don't mind, I, I'm going to do a lot of listening, a lot of absorbing. You'll be here scratching in the background only because I'm I'm furiously, furiously, like smoke committed, writing down notes as much as I can and taking them, just absorbing. I'm like a like a sponge, Herb, like a sponge, bro. Well, yeah, I definitely think that that our guest today is somebody that we can all learn a lot from. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, before I, I introduce him, though, I just wanted to check with you to see if you, you know, how's it been, man? I mean, we're this is our 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 fifth recording. Um, how are you feeling about, um, you know, feedback? What what have you heard? Um, everything very very positive, and, and here's here here's what I love. Okay, the one of the most uh, difficult things I have with working with the sales staff is doing is getting them to do anything extra um, for their own improvement. I mean, that's something that, that I don't know necessarily can be taught other than, you know, doing the work and they can see me doing that too. But um, when you have sales staff telling you uh, that, Hey, listen, I listened to the podcast and I made some notes. I mean, come on, bro. That, 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 that means that really that the guests that we're inviting on these things, it's bringing what, which is the whole intent. It's bringing value, bringing value to the community. And quite frankly, if we can keep achieving that, then rock and roll, Gucci cool, man. Yeah. Awesome, man. Good. So, all right, man, let's just, let's just get into it. So um, our guest for today, I'm very excited to have him on for a couple of different reasons. So number one, he's been in it, right? So he's been working at dealerships. Um, uh, you know, he has uh, that experience, right? That hands-on experience doing the work. Um, and then he's kind of transitioned that or taken all that experience and, um, you know, kind of put his own uh, spin on things and created his own uh, his own coaching company or training company and is now working with dealerships different parts of the country um, just helping them move the needle uh, so without further ado let me introduce our guest for today mr sean kelly sean how you hey, doing sir good morning my friends hey thank you guys for uh, having me on the podcast, I'm really excited to be here. I, I don't know if the uh, if one single podcast can handle uh, this much enthusiasm from us three. <laughs> well, we'll just have to have you back on the show later on, man. Um, all right, so so uh, you know, um, before we 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 kind of get into it, can you just share with us a little bit about your background? Um, you know, just tell the listeners you know, what you've done and, and what you're currently up to. Sure, guys. Absolutely. I'm, I'm happy to share my story. Um, I was just kind of mentioning to you the other day how I haven't really, uh, you know, gone public with my, my full story. Um, and, and I have a pretty, uh, but, but I think it's important for people to understand where, where you come from, you know, so I, I definitely be honored to start off with that today. Um, basically, what it boils down to, my friends, is I, you know, grew up um, in a, you know, divorced household, had 
had a ma- ma- mother who was, uh, loved us dearly with three sons and but worked her butt off and all that. Um, ended up deciding to join the military uh, just out of high school because, and this is quite simply because my grandpa's awesome World War II war stories. <laughs> I know, I know, Eric, you're a veteran as well, aren't you? Yes, sir. I, uh, I, 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 I love to have that kind of that background. So yes, sir. I absolutely yes. That's your question. Yes. Well, I had, uh, you know, so, so my grandpa told me these all, all some more stories. I said, I'm going to do something for our country. So, you know, the first recruiter that talked to me, I was signing up and, uh, I was an army recruiter and, and I ended up, um, testing pretty high on the, what is it? The ASVAB, I think they call it. Um, and got, got into psychological operations, which is, which is a special operations gig. And it's all about, um, persuading and influencing a target audience to meet, uh, national objectives or, or the unit objectives. So I really enjoyed that, uh, being able to analyze target audiences and kind of help influence them in a positive way, um, and which, you know, would save lives. I looked at it as even though I was fighting for our country, um, it was it was a way that I could, you know, use surrender appeals to cause them to, uh, you know, to give up instead of fight or, and save people's lives, you know, on both sides. So I, I tried to be, you know, positive with that. And then um, and, and I spent a couple of years overseas in different combat zone deployments. As a non-commissioned officer, um, I got back from Iraq, um, got out of the army, and then I, I was, I started off great as a civilian. I bought a house I couldn't afford during the subprime <laughs> mortgage crisis. Remember that whole thing? <laughs> on, on like a six month arm loan, uh, my, my payment uh, doubled after about six months. And then, uh, I ended up not, my, I was walking into, uh, at the time I was working at Best Buy making, um, you know, kind of like nine, ten bucks an hour struggling to get by I couldn't afford the uh, engagement ring I bought my fiance and, and we've all been through struggles and, and, and that's where I think it's important to share those things because you know trials and tribulation make us all grow don't do you guys agree yes oh yeah absolutely man um for sure so so I so I get out of the yard I'm walking into this uh, I had an opportunity to interview at Enterprise uh, rent a car and I'm walking in I was really I was excited I was going to be a $20,000 year salary gig um, and as, as I'm walking in my phone rings and it's my fiance and she's like John what are we going to do I'm pregnant oh my god so um, oh yeah, man say, yeah can you imagine <laughs> so um, I was already struggling right financially as a civilian so so needless to say I sat through the interview and didn't hear a word the guy said to me <laughs> so I was like huh uh, and didn't hire me. Uh, <laughs> but then, luckily for me, on my way to so, work at Best Buy, the next day I wrecked my car. So wait a second, that that your interview wasn't a good one. No, I, I don't know why. <laughs> I just couldn't focus on what he was asking me. Um, yeah, <laughs> after that great call. Um, so so things were starting off great as a civilian. Then then on my way to work, I wrecked my car. Um, oh, which was the best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, ironically enough, I ended up. At a dealership, buying one, and, and in finance, in the finance office, the, the man looked at me and he said, "You ever thought about selling cars, man? I think you'd be good at it." And I said, "Well, I'm sure. I'd, what do you make?" He's like, "On a bad month, you might make three grand." I'm like, uh, "Bad month, three grand? That's what I made in combat uh, in Iraq. I'm in." <laughs> so uh, that that began my love affair with the auto industry because you know it's, it's like all the fun things about the military, you know, the the adrenaline and the fast paced environment um, and the lead, blind obedience leadership. Uh, without the, you know, red, the military red tape, you know? So I, I want to uh, kind of pause here for a second, because that's a good point. Like oftentimes when I'm talking to salespeople, um, you know, that are in the dealership, their stories are always kind of like that. So, and since you're talking to so many stores and having so many different experiences, um, you know, it, it's, 
do you think that the majority of salespeople in the automotive industry just kind of fall into that role versus seeking it? Well, I, you know, I think that, you know, you've got four different personality styles, right? And, and if you're outgoing and, and, you know, somewhat charismatic and you care about people and you're, you're sometimes talkative, I think a lot of, a lot of people tell you, you should be in sales, you know, you, you should try. I was always told that I was going to either be in sales or politics um, by my family. And sure enough, I ended up, uh, became a, uh, I guess, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Almost. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but so, so I think a lot of people are steered towards it by their family and friends because they are outgoing or whatever. Or sometimes it's fate. You know, I think sometimes fate just puts us in the right place. Yeah, that that's good. Let, let me ask you this, because I, I really want to, I want to dig deep into this, but I want to, I want to make sure we're, we're adding benefit and value benefit back to the community as well. Now, with your background coming right out of high school, uh, going into the, the psychology standpoint from special special operations, do you think that there was something that you learned there at that time that has benefited you now? And if you could put your finger on what that was, what was the one thing that was the most impactful thing that you learned that is, is clearly a benefit now and always has been and something you always fall back on? Go ahead. Absolutely, Eric. Um, there, there are definitely so, – so, and I'd like to throw two out there if that's okay. So first off, on the, on the psychology side, right, it's everything that you do is about the target audience. And, and what I mean by that is that whether you're, whether you're trying to get 100 uh, enemies to surrender or whether you're trying to get one person to buy a car from you or whether you're trying to get 25 salespeople to, to buy into a change at your dealership or work harder or make more calls or whatever it is, no matter what, it's all about them. It's all about the target audience. That is number one, okay? Number two is, is leadership is the most critical, um, it, it is the most critical facet of the auto industry uh, that, the, that it, the auto industry needs to improve as a whole. Um, I, I believe that leadership was the way that I was gonna make sure myself and my team survived um, the, the military, you know, combat zone deployments. And I studied it, you know, profusely because um, I, and sure enough, that helped us make it through. So, so I think there, those two sides of it, I think we always need to make our messages geared around the other people because it's all about them. That's number one. It's not about us. And the other side of it is, is that we've got to improve our leadership abilities. Yeah. And what does leadership mean to you? Well, you know what, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what it means to me and, and with the kind of continuing on the story a little bit as so. So as I, I work, the leadership skills that I kind of became part of who I was after spending that much time overseas um, helped me move up in the, in the uh, at the dealership very quickly um, into management. OK, and what it boils down to is, is, is one thing. I, I think leadership is, is being a good follower. It's being a good servant. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Uh, my manager would say, now I was very blessed to have a good manager who knew what to say and had great ethics and values. And I, and he was the only manager I ever worked for in the auto industry other than dealer principals. Um, once I moved up into used car manager and then became a general sales manager, but everything I did was, was to serve my boss and serve the other salespeople around me. And I, you know, and, and just help him meet his objectives, help my, my coworkers meet their objectives. And as a manager, I kind of, I, I follow that same model. And, and now as a coach, that's exactly what I'm doing as well. It's, it's all about them 
And it's all about leading by example, being willing to get in the trenches and do what, what I'm asking them to do. And then being there for them when they need me. And, and as a leader, you're, you're needed all the time and you have to make yourself available, but, but being available and being there for someone isn't always about doing the job for them. It's also about empowering your people. And, uh, and, and to give you guys a, a little more insight into that, you know, um, I had always led through blind obedience. And this is where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really, uh, you know, smack the car business in the face in, in a nice way. Um, and because, again, I love the auto industry and I want the opportunities out there to continue for, for years to come. But what it boils down to is that, you know, the, the similarity between the military and the auto industry is that leaders in the car business are leading through blind obedience. We're, we're telling, selling and yelling. Right do this because I'm your manager. Right. Um, and, and that's kind of the, the leadership landscape of the auto industry. And, and all the, all the leadership books I read before the combat zones, um, you know, I would say they weren't a drop in the bucket compared to the leadership I learned from reading, you know, about, you know, one tenth of the books around coaching. So when I, when I learned about the coaching and I started applying those principles to my, my team and my dealership, and we started setting regional first records while cutting our advertising in half, and my turnover went down 60%. And, and salespeople asked me, literally, I had someone asked me to marry him and his fiance on the showroom floor. And someone made me their kid's godfather. And wow. that's the type of leadership that, that, that you, the loyalty you can create when you lead through coaching and you make it about your team. And, and not only do you make it about your team, but you're constantly there for them and helping them grow and empowering them to be better, as opposed to turning into a crutch by solving all the problems for them. Does that make sense? It, it absolutely does. You know, uh, Herb's yelling at me through the text is that we, we need to make sure you we've absolutely maximized your background. I, I want to know. We, so we went into a finance department. He said, hey, man, you ever thought about selling cars and you, you, you started out there. I mean, is there anything else we're missing about your background that would maybe give us uh, uh, the, the dirty insight uh, to what makes Sean Kelly so special? Well, first off, man, there, there's no, I, I think that there's nothing special about me, my friends, other than I just really care about people and I want other people um, to be uh, to reach, you know, their as high as possible in their success and their, their life. So I appreciate that. It's humbling to hear that from you guys, because, you know, I think you guys are extremely enthusiastic. And that's one of the, the, the laws of magnetism, right? Um, birds of a feather flock together. I think that that's one of the reasons I really uh, enjoy your content, you Eric and Herbs, is the on LinkedIn because you guys are so enthusiastic. That's something that I also carry. I believe that you know enthusiasm is what makes the car business fun and exciting, and that's critical. But but to answer your question and going back in into the um, you know working my way up at the dealership again, it, it's it was following and leading by example, and, um, and and you know yeah having enthusiasm and passion for what I do. Um, I think there's so many people in the auto industry that are, are kind of embarrassed about do, doing what they do. They're almost scared to tell people what they do, um, whether it's on social media yeah. or whether it's in public. And, and I think that's a big opportunity. I never was. I was always proud of what I did. And I always took it personally if someone didn't buy a car from me when I was on the showroom floor. And I tried to instill that in my salespeople. But, uh, but to give you guys, I, I think, so again, more trials and tribulation, right? It wasn't always sunshine and roses. Um, when I hit the dealership, uh, my first dealer group, guys, even though I, I, I mean, I was there for almost a decade, I was extremely loyal uh, to a fault. Uh, I'm talking three years in a row, my pay was was cut along with other management. And I took that personally. I took it as not they were trying to save money. 
I took it more as like, I'm not worth what they're paying me. So, so I was like, you know, maybe I need to become a free agent. And, and I did. And I, and I put my, even though I had improved results there, we had grown the sales. Um, I became a free agent and I left my first dealership uh, to go somewhere else where I felt like that wouldn't happen. And also, um, you know, only after quitting did they say, you're not going anywhere, rewrite your pay plan, here's a raise. And I said, thought to myself, wait, maybe I am valuable and maybe that these guys are just treating me like a number. Do you guys feel like that's something that the auto industry, uh, it, that's a challenge for the auto industry? Employees are looked at as a number and as the bottom line versus as a valuable asset. I totally see that. Yeah, for sure. Um, but here's a deal, like, you know, and I, I see, I obviously consult with a lot of dealerships, but they're not all like that, you know, I agree. and that's why, um, you know, like you were talking about opportunity. That's why I think that there's a lot of opportunity within the industry, because for the stores that and you can you can feel it when you walk into the door and you're talking to people, you can totally feel the difference at the stores where, um, you know, there's 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 a team vibe and, and everything's kind of flowing versus when you walk somewhere and, you know, there's lots of turnover and people are unhappy. And if you can feel it, right, and we're going in there, we're not buying anything. We're just going in there to have consultative conversations. Imagine what it feels like to a customer that's there to purchase something. Right. You know, so. You know, it's interesting. You're you're talking, it's kind of crazy how dealers all have this external brand, right, that they broadcast to the world. They say, buying a car from us is is the best thing ever. We've been in business for years. Our people treat you like family. Whatever their value proposition is, their external brand. But then you you take a peek under the hood and the internal brand, it's a mess under there, right? So I, I think that the internal brand has got to be so strong that it just exudes to the external brand. And, and if they're not aligned, people know right away. There's no question. People know a customer can smell it within a minute. A, a salesperson that you hire knows within two days on the job. And we wonder why the turnover is what it is and why people quit. Um, and, and that kind of segues into, um, you know, as I, I went from this uh, deep subprime lot in South St. Louis in a, in a kind of a rough neighborhood where we, you know, it was a 60 car lot and that, that was, it was used cars only. And, um, into you know where, where you had to really struggle or scrounge to find deals and engineer deals and and you capitalized on every opportunity or you starved. I went from that to this um, to this crazy busy uh, you know the, the busiest market in, in St. Louis and it was just like night and day and, and I saw these guys on this side just throwing away deals like it was nothing and I'm like we can sell so many more cars so we started capitalizing on every opportunity and we saw immediate sales growth and and then um, after about a year and a half of that, I uh, moved up into the general sales manager role. But but the crazy part is this, guys. I'm at home one night. It's 1.30 in the morning. I'm, t- I'm working. It's, you know, I'm literally laying in bed, like, fixing some prices, figuring out which cars were in DMS that weren't on my website. And my wife looks over at me. And God bless my wife. She's been married to a car guy now for 13 years. And we've been through, <laughs> holy cow, we've been through a lot. Um, but but going back to it, she, she looks at me. She goes, is, our, is your life insurance up to date? I was like, what do you mean? She goes, you're going to die. <laughs> and, and then, and, and, and I realized that that right there made me realize how frustrated I was, even though I loved my job leading this dealership, even though we were selling a lot of cars, I still had turnover. I, I had 70 or close to 90% turnover. I had, uh, I was working. I could never get it all done. I felt like I couldn't hold people accountable. And every time I lost a salesperson, I felt like I was losing a soldier in, in combat and, and I couldn't stomach it much longer. And I was very frustrated. So let, let me ask you this. I mean, as a maybe as a 
as an influential member of, and I know, look, we can talk about how everybody's influential, but as, an, as somebody that sits up at the top management spheres of the dealership and they're listening to this, um, how do they, could you talk about looking underneath the hood? How can they absorb or initiate action in order to have that culture fixed? I mean, what, what are some of the things that they can do to, to initiate that? And, you know, who does it start with, I guess, is the question. That's a great question to ask. Who does it start with in the dealership? Where is the, where is the, the pinnacle decision maker? Who is that individual? And how do, you, how, do you, how do you specifically help that individual, you know, transition from where they were to where, where they want to go in the most customer-friendly atmosphere possible? Well, here's the thing, you know, one of my favorite sayings is it's hard to read the label from inside the bottle. All right. One well, of my, my senior project manager, uh, Chad Garden, says that. And, you know, it, it's tough to spur that internal change when because everyone, everyone on the team, right, everyone at the dealership is on the field playing to win from the top all the way to the bottom. So that's why you need a third party coach to point out, you know, that you're holding the football wrong or that you're. You know, you're, you're jumping the play or whatever it is, right? So I, I think that you need a third party, but it has to start at the top. So I'll kind of share with you what spurred my change and, and, and set me down this path of coaching and and, uh, and and took me from this frustrated general sales manager with the turnover and, um, you know, and, and just couldn't get it all done and to uh, a true leader, okay? Um, and, and again, it's not that I, I had great intentions and I loved my team and I was positive, but it takes more than optimism to lead a team to success and and, and have consistent, sustainable growth, all right? So so it came from the top. Um, one day, the, the owner of my dealership sat in on one of my meetings and he looked at me and he's like, Sean, you need to get into coaching. And I was like, what the hell is that? Is that when you like yell at one person instead of everyone? <laughs> I just don't know what I want. I'm like, I do coach them, you know, and I'm working deals and they mess up the paperwork. I'm like, where the hell is this paperwork? And then I tell them to go get it. But it, it wasn't coaching. It was me pontificating. In my sales meetings, it was me talking the whole time, right? So so when he said that, I, it spurred, you know, an interest. I said, you know, what is, what really, I didn't really, I realized, I didn't really understand what coaching was. I couldn't define it. And, and I ask sales managers this across the country now, and by, you know, I've got dozens of dealerships I work with, and I, I do these cultural assessments, which, to touch on your point, is how do we make a change? Where does it start? And I'll share some of those tips with, with you here in a sec. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm like, what is this? I can't define coaching. And as I ask managers this across the country, you know, whether I'm speaking at Digital Dealer or Rockstar Auto Conference, um, literally, they're like, I don't know. You know, they say the same thing I did. So, and that's where I, uh, I actually ended up speaking on that topic, training versus coaching, uh, last digital dealer. Do your leaders really understand the difference? And that the, the house was packed and people were coming up to me afterwards going, dude, I get it now. I get it. Um, and I've had emails since then, people saying, Sean, it's been amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. But but going back to the uh, the, the challenge, it's got to start from within. Someone with a, a um, I guess you could say a third party perspective needs to shed light on our blind spots needs to say, hey, this is an opportunity for you. What do you what are your thoughts on that? And we've got to be able to we've got to let our freaking ego down. Leaders in the auto industry, guys, we're so worried about being replaced. We're so worried about yeah. someone else beating us because we're competitive. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely, man. Right. And if you, right. and if you're worried about someone beating you and, and you're worried about someone taking your job, you're not gonna listen to candid coaching from them. And then you can't change. 
So, so I think that that leaders as a whole, that's my biggest challenge is I do meet dealers um, and, and work with sales managers and dealer principals across the country. Dealer principals are a little different, but managers are, it's a, it's a, I have to break down those ego barriers and get through to show them that I'm here to help. I'm, I'm here to coach you. I'm here to make your life easier. You don't have to work until 1.30 in the morning. You don't have to spend, you know, half your month trying to recruit new salespeople and throw them against the wall, hoping they stick like they're a right. subprime deal. Yeah. Right on, man. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Hey, so um, I think that's a good segue here because I I wanted to ask this question, and I don't obviously I don't want you to give anything away, but you have this concept, right? This uh, methodology, and it's uh, you know drive C three, and I've always been curious about that. What does it mean? Um, you know, like can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Of course, absolutely. So, and, and I'll share with you how that came about as well. So as I started coaching my team and we started and I started getting better and better at coaching and mastering it under my coach, a guy named Keith Rosen, by the way, great coach. He's still my coach this day. Um, After years, he's just, I wouldn't be where I'm at without him. There's no question. Um, And I've been lucky enough again and blessed enough to be able to have this passion for coaching and and to be able to develop the skill to where I've been able to make the same impact in in hundreds of salespeople and, and, you know, auto industry professionals on the vendor side too. I work with a lot of uh, auto industry vendors as well, um, but uh, but that was developed. So my first client, right? So I told the dealer principal, I go, guys, I'm 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 coaching. Um, I want to eventually have my own coaching practice. I think it'll take me a year to do, and um, and but I can't. And they're like, well, that's fine, but just number one, don't let it interfere with your work. And it, and they, they were scared it would because you know they didn't want me moonlighting. Um, and they're like, you can't do dealers. I'm like, okay, well. How in the heck am I going to find business if I don't coach, um, you know, if I can't coach dealers? But that made sense and I agreed with them. So conflict of interest. So I had to work with vendors. So I started coaching drive-centric CRM. One day the CEO came in and he was like, Sean, I'm struggling with this issue. And, uh, and, and you know, and he just he was kind of venting. And I just I coached him through the challenge. He calls me a, a week later and he's like, Sean, that was the best business conversation I've had in months. Um, I wish we could have more of it. And I said, well, that's perfect because I'd like to be your coach. Um, so drive centrics here and hired me to coach them. So working with, I started coaching them and within about six to eight months, um, I kind of, um, I real they had doubled their revenue, which annual recurring revenue, which was awesome. They even wrote a press release for me around that. Um, but, but I developed this coaching framework for them. So what drive C3 is, it is a coaching framework that helps you uncover, um, uncover the, each person's biggest desire. What do they want in their career? And, and then it helps you as a manager coach them to that point, right? Because everyone has a destination. Everyone has something they want. And, and you know, it's so funny. As and, and you talked about the culture, right? And how customers know when it's broken. So imagine this. Imagine you walk into a dealership and you ask the entire team one-on-one, what do they want? And everyone just says money, money, money. That's the sign of a broken culture. Okay. Why? Because people don't have a true purpose. Even though, yes, we need money to live, but money's the result of doing right. good work. You can't stop it if you do a great job. Would, would you guys agree? Absolutely. Yeah, I totally buy into that philosophy. I always say, you know, never worry about the, you know, the compensation. If you do good work, it's going to work out, right? Exactly. So, so imagine this. Imagine you found out what else in addition to money drives people's motivation. Imagine you could find that. And imagine that we weren't just developing our underperformers or our new hires. Imagine you could take the people, the salespeople that have like reached 12 cars or 15 cars or 30 cars and plateaued. Every one of these sales, we, we, in the car business, and this is where I want to improve the leadership landscape of the auto industry. 
because I know we can take those middle producers, those top producers, and help them achieve even more results through performance coaching. And that's what Drive C3 is. It takes like the people that are, are have plateaued off and it helps them continue to grow. And it drives motivation and it drives results because we're uncovering what they're why they do what they do and we're helping them get there. It's a it's a consistent, sustainable process that a leader at a at a car dealership can implement that will drive motivation and it creates extreme loyalty and extremes motivation. And it also uh, significantly lowers turnover. Um, sometimes the people that end up leaving your team are the people that you've coached up and made more successful, which is what happened to me at my dealership, right? I, I started this coaching practice. I, I, I replaced my, I don't have a safety net, man. My wife's a stay at home mom. I've got three kids in private school had plenty of bills. I couldn't just quit my, my dealership and go without income. Right? So I built this coaching practice, replaced my income as GSM of one of the top Hyundai stores in the region and moved over to uh, my own coaching practice with um, by coaching people and helping them achieve their results. And the owner was, first he was frustrated, you know, the dealer, he was like, I, it's, this is my fault. And I said, yes, but because of you making me a better person and helping me get into coaching and, and steering me down that path, I in turn have made the entire team better people. And you're the leaders that are replacing me you know, by the way, I quit my dealership. We promoted seven people. This was my greatest accomplishment, in my opinion, overall. I don't care about the extra car deals or the extra money. When I left the dealership, we promoted seven people behind me, and now they are doing an even better job than I did. Oh, wow. That, my friends, is is my great. That's my legacy, and that's from the coaching. So, so my point is that that imagine if that was just the norm at dealers across the country. If everyone was working together to help each other get where they want out of their career, even if it's not at the dealership, right? Yeah, man, I, I, I dig that. That's, that's, yeah, that's very powerful. And, and, you know, I think in this industry, there's, there's, there's definitely room, right. Um, for, for improvement and for, for, you know, uh, better processes, you know what I'm saying? Um, so what is your, okay. So you have this, this, this methodology, right? Drive C3. So can you talk about kind of how that works? Like you, you walk into this dealership, I'm, uh, you know, I'm assuming that you maybe spend a day or two just checking things out, making assessments. Uh, then I'm assuming that you maybe sit with one of the decision makers and you talk about kind of where they, where they, where, what their object, objectives are. And then you start to put this all together. Where does Drive C3 come in? Is it something that you apply with everybody, like with the salespeople, um, management? Like, how, how does it all fit together? Well, thank, yeah, absolutely happy to share. So I think that, number one, I, I think training in the auto industry is is just – we're doing the exact same thing we did 15, 20, 30 years ago, right? Yeah. Managers yeah. are um, – you know, they're telling everyone how to sell like they sold. Well, guys, you got baby boomers, Gen Xers, Gen Y, and millennials all working under the same rooftop. What works for me as a manager isn't necessarily what's going to work for you, right? So, number one, I don't go in there with some off-the-shelf, like one-size-fits-all. This is how everyone should sell a car approach. That is like pushing a broken-down trading up a hill, okay? <laughs> I don't go in there and start telling Herb and, and you know Eric, this is how you should sell a car. This is how you answer a phone. I'm going to figure out what your processes are and what you're currently doing. Am I going to take some best practices from my dealerships across the country when I meet a 60 car person or a BDC that's talking to 90% of their internet leads, uh, getting 90% engagement? Am I going to share those tips with you? Absolutely. But I don't come in there and try to reinvent the wheel. No, my friends, I'm, you know, I go in there uh, with the, without being attached to the outcome. I tell dealers straight up, 
look, guys, I don't know if I can help you or not yet. I don't know if you want my help or need my help, but I'm here to find out. So, yeah, I'll spend the day. I'll work with the entire dealership uh, meeting and groups, and I'll figure out what is most important to them and what are their challenges, and I'll uncover all these blind spots. I mean, we all have blind spots, right? And, and by the way, if you guys ever see me, if I'm ever doing something that is damaging my brand or, or holding my company back, I would ask that you share those with me candidly to help me grow. Would you guys be willing to do that? Of course. Absolutely, I man. I appreciate it. So that's the type of, of um, reciprocity I try to create the dealership where we can both help each other grow. And, you know, you, I don't want them changing lanes at 80 miles an hour with a car in their blind spot. They're going to crash, right? So I bring these out in the open. I'm really good at getting people to be open and candid um, and say things that they would have never thought about talking about to their manager or their dealer principal. And when I do, and we shed light on those blind spots and then we inspire people to change and grow. And that's the thing, you know, change is, is tough, man. But I'm, but I'm going to tell you right now, change is happening whether you want it to or, or not. not. Like, look at Toys R Us, right? Look at, um, you know, look at the housing market in, in 09. Um, change is going to happen whether you want it to or not. The question is, is are you going to control the change? Are you going to be the one that drives the change? Are people going to quit because they hate your culture and they feel like they get treated like crap? Or are people going to quit because you help them move up and get what they wanted out of their career or their life? That's the question. You get to pick. But it's, it's making the extra, taking the extra amount to invest in your people and, and put time and energy into helping them grow. And, and it's all possible. You know, I went from working 16-hour days at GSM to, to have help run the dealership um, to being able to work eight to nine hours and sell even more cars because I, I had that outside-the-bottle perspective, right? I had the coach saying, hey, what can you do to defer, delegate, and delete? And you know, what processes can you improve and implement? And, and hey, have you sat down and listened to your sales team's problems and challenges and, and actually, in, you know, made some changes around what their concerns are? And I used to, you know, as, again, I had that ego as a manager. And once that was broken down and I truly started, I, I let go of my agenda and I stopped trying to tell, sell and yell. And I started listening to understand that's when my life and my career changed. So here, here's my question for you, because you, you mentioned it and I hear it in your videos um, when you get feedback from the, the groups that you're working with. Have you found, as I have, that um, personality profiles, being able to communicate with the personality for each individual, not just so much from the customer standpoint, but from the sales staff standpoint, from the management standpoint, being able to communicate in that sense, have you found that to be an effective way, a much more effective way to communicate? And is that one of your um, techniques that you use? Yeah, absolutely, Eric. Um, in fact, I believe there are four pillars to a healthy dealership culture. Okay. And I, and I focus on three areas. Okay. I've got, this is training where we customize and, and tailor the training and we don't try to reinvent the wheel and we involve the managers. Uh, number two is coaching excellence where we help each player on the team reach a new level of excellence in their career. Number three is the culture, winning cultures. Um, winning cultures, I believe, communication is one of the four pillars, all right? You also have alignment to the direction of the company, um, and you also have the uh, clarity around expectations, and then you also have uh, everyone understanding the value that each player brings to the team. But but going back to the communication piece, absolutely, and this, this ties into the original uh, thing about PSYOP, right, is that tailoring your message to the target audience. If we do a one-size-fits-all leadership approach right. and we're treating everyone the way I want to be treated, 
Well, that means because of the different styles, that means only about 25% of the time I'm communicating effectively. Um, so yes, I believe that we've got to understand the different communication styles. You may have a sales manager desking a deal with a, a salesperson that is the opposite style of him desking, uh, who's working with a customer who's a lateral style to him. And that, my friends, creates a very bad communication gap. <laughs> so very important. Yeah. We, we flex our style, how we communicate to the salesperson and or customer. Completely agree. So um, I had this question. It's kind of related, but not really. But I wanted to ask it anyway. And I, and I try to do this with everybody that, that has been on the show that I see has a really good social media presence because I don't see a lot of it. I don't see a lot of people in the automotive industry taking advantage of these amazing platforms where you could basically market yourself for free. Um, you do an amazing job at it. And so my question to you, since you're, you know, obviously it, been in the industry and you're, you're talking to dealers on a regular basis, um, what do you think are, the opportunities are for somebody, for a salesperson, for example, you know, just somebody that's taking off. So how, they can, how can they use LinkedIn? How can they use Facebook to uh, generate, you know, to create a brand name for themselves and ultimately generate more business for themselves? Uh, great question. Um, and how, let's see, I'm trying to think, how can I can word that in a, a one-minute response or so? Because um, <laughs> there's so many. Uh, no, take your time. Let's get, it out. Let's get it all out there. <laughs> okay, my friend. Well, well, and first off, their customers aren't buying cars like they were in the past. I, I And I know right now there's dealers listening to this or managers, maybe even you guys thinking, yeah, they do. They still come in and they, they buy from people. I Listen. <laughs> What I mean by that is that back in the day, we could just sit on the lot and people would walk in with an auto trader magazine and we'd have it, we could get in front of them and try to sell them, right? Well, now people aren't going lot to lot. They're just on the internet. It's that simple. So we have, how do we attract our shoppers? We have two choices, right? We can have a bunch of inventory that's priced below the market and we can try to drive traffic that way. But then you're 100% relying on the nice. market and how, your ability to buy cars and how many people are shopping. and. To, to come see you at the dealership. And that's not a sustainable business model. Mm -hmm. That's why salespeople are, are really struggling financially across the country. So um, instead, I believe that salespeople need to attract a loyal following. I, I think step one in the sales process is no longer the meet and greet. I think that the, the new step one in the sales process is how do you attract a shopper? And I think salespeople need to love, they need to be proud of what they do and they need to have a, a, their own brand and they need to market that and they need to create a following of people on social media that are ready to buy from them in the future. And that's the thing. We got to stop looking at our sales. Like it's a right now today thing. Yes. We need to sell a car today. Yes. We're measured on a 30 day increment and we get paid on that. But we get, we have to also be in addition to hunting. We also need to be farmers. We need to be planting seeds for the future. And if I can sell, you know, if I can sell 50% of my cars to loyal following of customers um, who don't, shop from here to heaven and you know and and are want me to make money because they like what i do and i add enough value um then the salesperson can make a living and, and that's what i try to help also help create at dealerships you know and, and then you guys think about internet leads like you guys you guys are in the auto industry too like when a salesperson gets a lead what, what are some of the things you hear about salespeople's leads you guys ever hear complaints about them Absolutely. I mean, uh, it, 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 when it comes to salespersons leave there, you know, everybody's just so driven on close, close, close 
they tend to forget about, you know, let's actually communicate with the, with the customer. So, I mean, the, the issue is, is that everybody's expecting the person walking in the door, especially they come in on their own to just be, you know, to be flop over and be done. But just, they're, they're just going to buy, they, they flop out their, their credit card, their, <laughs> their checkbook, and let's just get it on, man. This is done. I got this in the bag. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, salespeople are getting leads, and then if there's not enough information, they're like, this is a bad lead. I, I think they're looking at leads like they're pixels on a screen, and I think that's a big challenge. I, I believe that in addition to attracting the buyer through a social media development and having a loyal following on LinkedIn and Facebook or whatever platform you choose to focus on, um, I think that when you get these leads, I think you've got to look at those as um, you know, as people. And I think you've got to dive yes. deeper in. I, I'm going to tell you right now, guys, you, you know, no one's hardly anyone's watching TV anymore. I mean, I'm, they say the average person scrolls through a football field length of Facebook every day. Isn't that insane? So if wow. you know, if you know, that's where you're, you're the fisher in that pond, that's the pond we need to fish in. Right. So imagine if instead of uh, trying to just email or text or call a customer who sent in a, a quote unquote bad lead because they don't want it without a phone number. Well, they just didn't give you the phone number because maybe they're coaching people all day and they don't can't be called, right? So maybe you look them up on Facebook and you message them there, right? What would it mean if you could talk to 90 or 95% of your internet leads because um, you, you engage them in the, you, I guess you fish in the pond they're actually swimming in. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. And that's re the reason why I pose the question because I see this huge opportunity and I don't see a lot of dealerships and a lot of the personnel, right, like the, the, the sales staff promoting themselves or creating a personal brand for themselves on these platforms where, I, again, I mean, you can do that for free. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's, it's powerful, man. And, and when you met, of course, there's there's that fear of, well, is that customer going to get mad if I message them on Facebook or are they going to be creeped out that I'm stalking them? And well, only if you have a creepy Facebook profile. right? <laughs> 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 that's what I tell them. And when, if they see that, like, oh, there's a bunch of delivery photos, this this salesperson takes great, his ha customers are very happy. He's got a bunch of five star reviews on his Facebook group or page. They're not they're not going to be scared off, and they're going to be happy you took went the extra mile to reach out to them. You know, and and I think that maybe there is a two or three or five percent people who who it turns off. But why are we worried about the five percent of the negative results? Why don't we focus on the ninety five percent of the positive possibilities? I love it, man. So um, we're out of time, man. I, I wish we could keep going. Uh, it's been a great conversation. I've enjoyed having you on. Hopefully, well, we can uh, we can get you back on here in the future. Um, I want to give you a chance here to tell us. I know you got some stuff coming up, so I want I want to make sure that you get a chance to mention that and tell us uh, how we can get in touch with you. But before we do that, I got one last question that I ask everybody that comes on, and that's where do you see the automotive industry going in the next five years and why? Okay, so I would say that the auto, the auto industry is going to have to offer virtual purchasing options for their customers. Okay, it's that simple. And, and the reason is because, again, customers aren't buying. They're, they're shopping first online. And, and we have not fixed the turnover problem as, as a whole. So it's costing dealers a lot of money to have a brick and mortar establishment and have, uh, you know, 70% turnover and customers are going to be offered an option from Amazon, from Carvana and from the other 30 other options they have to buy virtually. 
And dealers need to get on the bandwagon and, and start adopting these practices. I am creating um, e-sell departments at my dealerships, but they involve the salesperson. So what I mean by that is, is dealers get on board because in five years from now, there's going to be a lot of customers buying virtually. You need to start offering this now. Customers aren't asking about it yet because they don't know what they don't know. But you want to be the first beat Amazon and, and um, Carvan and all those guys to the punch by offering these services now. And, and if you want more in information on that, just send me an email, sean at carmotivators.com, or you can text me on my cell or message me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to do that. All right, man. So again, thank you so much for being on. It's been it's been amazing. Why don't you let us know about you know, some of the stuff that you got coming up and then where people can reach you at? Okay, you got it. So so first off, if you're listening to this, guys, and you don't follow Eric and Irv on LinkedIn, you better do that. These guys are amazing. Their enthusiasm for our industry and their passion is, is just phenomenal. And I'm honored. Uh, thank you guys for allowing me to share my story here um, and, and my mission to bring coaching to the car business. Uh, I really appreciate that. And then finally, I'll say, I've got a Rockstar Auto Conference coming up October 14th and 15th. That is going to be amazing. It's an entire group of keynote speakers that you are going to get up close and personal and intimate with two days straight in Las Vegas, Nevada. So um, I will have, you can reach me at, on LinkedIn. Uh, you can look up Sean Kelly, S-E-A-N-K-E-L-L-E-Y. You can email me, Sean, S-E-A-N at carmotivators.com or hit myself, 314-323-8234. Um, you can check out carmotivators.com. So yeah, we'll, I'll be speaking at Rockstar Auto Conference on how to get more from your sales team. That's motivate, uh, onboard, recruit, and retain your employees. I'll be speaking at that along with some uh, amazing other speakers. And uh, I'm excited to say Car Motivators was just uh, invited to be a featured vlogger and blogger on dealershipnews.com. So check out dealershipnews.com as well. All right. There it is, folks. Again, I mean, we went way over on this one, but man, was it worth it. Um, such a good, good conversation. Very excited uh, for the listeners to, uh, um, you know, check out this, uh, this episode. And uh, that's all we have for today, guys. As usual, we'll talk later. Thanks, guys. You rock.